I think if you have the microphone, you have a responsibility to say something like that, right? Um, but then I also recognize that there's lanes. And what happened is, is that the new youth have created this lane where everybody drives the exact same car. And um, I wish them well with that because I'm simply going, what are you going to do when no one wants to drive in that lane anymore? It's the Empowerment Perspective Podcast, hosted by Demiso Josie and Mr. Kareem Spence. Stay empowered. Stay empowered. All right, welcome to yet another episode of the Empowerment Perspective Podcast. I go by the name of Dr. Demiso A. Josie, and I'm flying solo. I, I got to talk to my man, Mr. Petty, Kareem Spence. I mean, I know it's Friday night and everything, and, and, and things are starting to loosen up, and I know you want to go out there and... and and get his social life on, but I gotta renegotiate this contract with him because you know he popped in late the last one. Now he ain't showing up tonight, but um, I'm, I'm still gonna hold it down for him. And unfortunately, Jamie could make it tonight as well. So I mean, I'm gonna do this thing on my own. I've been I started it on my own, so I'm just gonna go ahead and go rock out with it. So um, on the previous podcast, though, if you ain't checked that out, I had Dr. Um, Stephanie Iglesias on. We were talking about how to make change in our communities. Um, in light of all the stuff that happened with, you know, we done marched, we done, you got the world's attention with the, the George Floyd situation and all the, the civil unrest in the country. But the question always came up was, what do we do now? You know, we, we talked about it, we yelled about it, we cried about it, but what's the next step? So she's creating a great, great program and a project out there to develop in an app where people can get some useful information. So you ain't checked that podcast out. Make sure you check that one out. Um, I will definitely put the link up there for you guys to check that out and support her. Um, she's out here um, raising two black males in this society and trying to get things, uh, you're trying to, you know, move the conversation forward. And we're going to kind of stick with that theme tonight. We had a um, previous podcast before Dr. Uh, Iglesias, we had um, Terry Gimmons on all the way out there in, in California. And we talked about radical empathy and how to, to, to you know, bridge the gap and the racial gap that's that's happening um, in our country. So the, the theme's gonna kind of keep going, but as you know, with the Empowerment Perspective Group, we also rock with hip hop. You know, we teach um, hip hop 101, how to reach today's hip hop generation. So we kind of bridge that gap with music, art, um, you know, social you know, issues and all that stuff here. And, and we talk to a lot of what we call educators. Now, not educators in the sense of teachers, but just people that are dropping signs and dropping knowledge on, uh, you know, for people that can be, you know, get that information. So we have a special guest on tonight for sure. Um, I got to give a shout out to my man, Rich C, who hooked this up. Um, my man, we went to high school together and kind of, you know, he went into the music thing and I went music kind of, uh, early in, in my career and, you know, got away from it. But he was like, yo, you got to check this brother out. He's doing some major things out here. Um, and he's a little different than what was out there uh, in, in hip hop right now. So we definitely <laughs> will dig into that to, uh, off the bat too. Um, but uh, I'm going to let you introduce yourself to our audience here. Um, we give you the platform uh, to do that. So introduce yourself, brother, your name. And, and I know what your name is. I want to know where it came from though. Let's start there. <laughs> First of all, how's everybody doing? My name is Christian L, the R&B Ruga. Oh, yes. <laughs> you know, um, musically, definitely enjoying life right now. We are 13.8 million streams in since, since the middle of February when we released our first song, Through the Pain, on Apple Music. Um, 
Veranda of My Life, my first album, is available on all streaming platforms. But I do encourage everybody, if you got Apple Music, go and stream it there because they pay more. Yeah. Um, you know, I said, where did the name come from? Yeah. Wow. Uh, I started off as a singer, you know. Um, I think that I was Drake before Drake, you know. Um, and I could sing, like sang, sang. <laughs> sang that know? song. <laughs> I could sing, you know. And um, I looked up and I watched my health situations change my voice, mm. you know. And said, found out that I had brain cancer at a very young age. And after going through chemotherapy, it just felt like so many bodily changes happened, including the mm. sound and the range that I was able to hit after uh, having that good old tube down your throat. Mm. But uh, shout out to the doctors at Penn and shout out to the doctors at Robert Wood Johnson. Love you guys forever because I'm still here and I appreciate you. Um, I originally started off in a group when I was a student at Rowan University. And he said, I went to Rowan for grad school and um, met a young brother by the name of Tomas Malave and Megan Rochelle. Megan, I believe, is actually from Glassboro. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we had formed our own little Fuji's band style crew <laughs> together because Megan could sing, sing. Yeah, if I yeah. thought I could sing, Megan could sing, sing. <laughs> you know, and um, I just kind of watched things change over time. Mm -hmm. It went from singing to me rapping, um, really, because I felt like I was better at it than everybody else anyway. Mm -hmm. um, and then eventually it just kind of got to a point where I was like, it's time changed and I wanted to make sure that I was somebody that was saying something on this mic. Mm. And I grew up as an R&B dude, you know, I'm talking stylistics, heat wave, earth, wind and fire, mm -hmm. you know, uh, Alicia Myers, uh, Carmen Brown, shout out to Carmen Brown. For those that don't know who Carmen Brown is, she is a three time multi platinum recording artist who is now in the gospel house field. Mm -hmm. And, um, my Lord, she's been amazing, both for me as a career and as a person, um, you know, and uh, I decided one day, you know what? I'm only going to kill R&B tracks. <laughs> so I looked up and I was like, well, you know what? I am the R&B killer. There it the is. R&B Ruka. Ooh, you yeah, know, right. and I was right there. I got right it. Right there. You know, so, yeah. since I'm more of a hip hop jazz kind of guy. Okay. All right. I was yeah. like, you know, let me uh, go on in. Let's dive in. I want to get back to, to the cancer piece, too, because we talk about that, too. Um, you know, I have a couple of family members, and there's a lot of people in our audience that are dealing with um, pediatric cancer right now. So I'm, I'm going to get back to that in a second. But I want mm -hmm. to talk about, um, I remember exactly the time and place where I fell in love with hip hop. And I, I know exactly what I was doing, and I know exactly what I was listening to. When was that moment for you that you fell in love with, with hip hop music? Um, being honest with you, I fell in love with hip hop. Ah, people are probably going to be like, come on, guy. But listen, it was MCM. Um, I wasn't I, expecting that. Listen, listen, it was, that. listen, it was MC Hammer. You know why? I prided myself on being a showman, right? And when MC Hammer kind of came in and took the world by storm, mm -hmm. it, it changed the culture of hip hop in its entirety. Um, I also was maybe about nine, 10 years old at the time. Mm -hmm. um, and access to certain styles of music was not happening in my grandparents' household. Gotcha. So 
you know, I was generally pretty much listening to whew, scats, mm -hmm. um, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s legends, and then, you know, the commercial hip hop that they would allow. Mm -hmm. um, so MC Hammer really propelled me to listen because he made it friendly enough for my family to feel safe to allow me to delve into this genre, right? Um, and when I can say that it fully, fully hit me, it was uh, the Midnight Marauders album. Oof. I mean, Tribe Called Quest, I thought I was Q-Tip. Mm. You know, I, you couldn't, <laughs> ooh, wee, Lord, I mean. That's interesting. It, it just, it, it really did something different for me. And I watched myself kind of metamorphosize between, you know, the different MCs that had my spirit at the time. You know, uh, Father MC. Man, listen, Father MC just, he, he changed my entire flow lyrically. Gotcha. Because I was like, you know what? I'm a ladies man. Uh -huh. <laughs> I'm here, uh -huh. dressed like Steve Urkel, rapped like Father MC. Uh -huh. So, you know, it was a... It's interesting you say that, because like I told you earlier, I was listening to some of your music. I could tell the jazz fluence. I could hear the the the, the, the old school soul music. I could hear uh, actually a little bit of the, the hammer, you know, you know I, I get a little sense of that too. But when you said Tribe Called Quest, I was just like, how can I put his music in, 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 in modern times? So I'm kind of thinking like I hear a Fred the Godson kind of tone a little bit, but then I hear a little bit of, you know, I, I hear that influence, that soul influence too. Um, so what influences your style? Like um, other than that, I mean, I, I, you know, that that's definitely coming through, but you don't hear a lot of MCs today and a lot of hip hop artists today uh, really diving deep in, in, into that sound and that soulful sound. That's the kind of the feel that I kind of get with your music. So where, where's that coming from now? Um, absolutely. I would say that it comes from my journey as a man, right? Um, you know, just, the, hey, you know, cl clean and, and devolving, you know, I, I'm looking at my name and seeing a bunch of letters behind my name now, mm. but they were not gotten easily, you know, think shortly after I graduated from grad school with that MFA, I found myself inside of a state prison mm. and it, it changed my perspective on a lot of things, right? Mm -hmm. um, I put me in a situation where I wanted to maintain who I was regardless, but it gave me an entirely different perspective mm -hmm. on life because coming from a family who had never dealt with just that type of Ichabod period, um, for those that don't understand Ichabod, I encourage you to go back, read your Bible, that be, you know, <laughs> it opened up some things for you that'll be uh second samuel chapter four mm -hmm. um but going through that experience really put me in a position where maintaining yourself and learning how to appreciate other people who have been within this struggle right because i remember being around 21 22 my little sister called me and said uh my boyfriend's in jail can you send me some money? Mm. Your boyfriend's in jail. Can you send me some money? Right. Hey, little girl, get your life together. Mm. Date someone better, right? But I didn't understand the essence of mass incarceration at the particular time. I had not seen or had a full understanding, though I was raised 
by people from Troy, Alabama and Eunice, Louisiana, born in the 1930s, coming from Burlington, New Jersey, I did not have the experience mm -hmm. of that. So because of it, I was kind of blind to it. And when I had to deal with it firsthand, you know, brothers who I had never spoken to based upon their situations when I was younger, mm -hmm. now being head on into it, mm -hmm. it gave me a different appreciation. And it also helped to change the topic of what I was writing about because my journey changed exponentially. You know, how you can go from the top of your class to mm. being humbled. Right. That, well, we're here about the empowerment perspective group. It's all about Ooh. perspective. And, you know, that's one of the 100%. things I absolutely teach. And I try to teach these young people. I said, technically speaking, right, we can look at this phone, right? And we recognize this as a phone. But you don't see what I see, right? You don't see the image that I'm looking at right now. You have your vantage point about this particular phone. You know what I'm saying? So when, when we start to look at life a little bit differently, you start to see different, it's the same phone, it's the same situation. But when you look at, you change your perspective on how you look at certain things, it not only broadens your, your horizons, it kind of makes you appreciate certain things that, that, that you know, both fortunate and unfortunate. Like my, my story is definitely one of tragedy. And I'm thankful that I went through that as an adult because my perspective has changed about it a little bit. But, you know, is, is, is a huge, huge thing um, in, in, in terms of life. I want to keep with this because I feel like we're, we're leading into, into a, a path and we're going to circle back to some of the other stuff. But um, obviously, we're in a, in a day and time where, you know, being Black males, um, that I feel like the light has been extra shine on us right now. It has always kind of like, I, I feel like the world has a look and say, well, you know, these black men in this country right now are, are, are have a different experience. At the very least, have a different experience than everybody else. Um, and I kind of felt for me personally, when the, you know, the, actually I go back, Rodney King, and even before then, like, you know, the, when these instances start happening, I'm like, part of me is like, I told you so, this is what's happening all the time, but you know, this wasn't like a big shocker to me. But as things started to go and involve it to the point where it is now, I'm kind of just like, well, maybe there's people out here that can see our perspective. You're not going to understand it. You're not really going to be able to grasp it. But at least on some little level, you can under begin to understand what we've been saying forever. <laughs> you know, so when this, this summer came, and I know we can talk about other incidents. Like I said, this has been going on, but I feel like the pivotal moment right now and the thing to talk about right now, you know, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and all those things. Right. Where were you? in that space when the, when these events happen, like in terms of mentally and emotionally, were you kind of like, I was like, you know, this has been going on. I told you this was happening or was this, this is go time now. Let's, let's try to really make this push. This is our moment. I personally felt like it was go time. Um, my grandfather, rest in soul, rest in peace, you know, uh, just passed away this year and he is the third most decorated African-American soldier out of the state of Louisiana. Mm. Um, he had left a legacy for me of, you know, watching eyes on the prize. Mm. I wasn't allowed to watch TV during school days. Mm. So unless they put on eyes on the prize, so you can read them expensive encyclopedias. Encyclopedias, yeah. No, remember Encyclopedia Britannica? Listen, I, that, my, my computer is sitting on Encyclopedia Britannica right now. That's how I got to the height. <laughs> 
<laughs> Lord, you know, a lot of times I often think about what they've been through, mm. right? Coming from the deep South where racism was more so in your face. Mm. You remember when Chris Rock said how, uh, you know, white people used to kind of jump on black men's backs and be like, Main Street, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. I recognize that there was an immense change in how racism was presented to us, mm. right? Whether it was placism, whether it was financially when it came to uh, creating the credit system in which there's an extreme disparity for education within our own community for that, um, the process of investing and being excluded from it. Um, you know, when the George Floyd moment actually happened, it was a rough experience for me because I had just taken the position as the regional crisis officer mm. of Philadelphia. So here I am, a black male with a badge. Mm. And most people, when they see badges, they believe that you're the police. Mm. And I'm like, I'm a clinician. <laughs> hey, <laughs> hold on, <laughs> hold on. Um, uh-huh. you know, I deal with the issues of mental health that mm. the police mismanage within the city. Mm. Um, but I looked up and in that moment, I looked at my son and my son's name is Justice. Mm. Right? You know, and as I watched that horrible video, that horrible video, you know, I just recognized that it was on me to do something about it right now, Mm -hmm. that I could not wait as these pivotal moments in history that demand that black men step outside and address it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Because there's been too many times where things have happened where we've said nothing, right? you know, where we put on a t-shirt and kind of keep it moving and there's nothing else that's done. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I put myself directly on the front line in the line of fire while wearing the badge mm-hmm. um, and uh, was put in charge of escorting, you know, BLM through the crowd to make sure that, uh, you know, nothing would happen. I think it was more so their way of gauging what was going on, mm-hmm. kind of hoping that I would be an, an agent for the Ichabod right. only for me to look up and while standing on those rocky steps, I was just overcame, Mm. you know? I looked down at this sea of young men and women, especially knowing that these were, some of them may have been 13, 14, 17, maybe 19 years old, and they were outside in abundance. Mm -hmm. And it felt like there wasn't that many within my generation there, Mm. right? Mm. and had to say something, mm-hmm. you know, in the same way that, uh, you know, the, the picture for you is your daughter's. Mm-hmm. Lord, you know, for me, it's justice hiding behind in the background back there for me. Slide that over. I could, there you go. Yeah. There he is. <laughs> I always be like, my son, uh-huh. love him to death. There it is. Beautiful. Beautiful. You know, there's something that I'm you said, a couple of things that you said that kind of, reminded me of some things and then you know and again I go out and speak to these young people actually my generation too 
when I was marching and out there too, I saw a whole bunch of young people. And I, one, I got a sense of it was like, well, being as a black male, these people out here marching for me. But then I realized that what I'm fighting for, which I, I have always been fighting for, is not for me. I'm not, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm not going to see the change that I want, right? It's not, I'm not <laughs> fighting this fight for me. I'm fighting it for my daughter. I'm fighting it for your son. I'm fighting it for that next generation. And I think that part of the reason why you didn't see a lot of our generation out there is because we are so narrow. A lot of us are now narrow-minded to think that, well, I, they're not going to change for me. So why, why should I go out there and, and do me? It's not for you. It's not. As, as, as an as a elder person, as a, as a parent, your job is to provide for the next generation. At least give them the blueprint on how to move forward. So, you know, that, that takes a lot from, for people to grasp that in their, their brain that, you know, what I'm doing, it's not for me. Well, I walk out the house every day to go to work. It's not for me. <laughs> it's not, you know? So Very much so. You know, so trying to be that selfless is, 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 a, huge, is a huge thing. But, you know, I, it, there was a time where I was actually, I broke down and stopped in the middle of the march and had tears in my eyes. I was just like, like you, there was a little girl. She probably had to be no more than 10, leading the chance out there. And I was just like, yeah, this is this is crazy. Like, I've got to do something. I feel like, I, not that I've got to do something more, because I've always been in this space. I'm an educator and I'm a black male in education. It's like, trying to find a dinosaur, especially where, where, you know, South Jersey. So, Very much so. right. So I've been fighting this fight for, for, for years and, you know, it just encouraged me to keep going and, and, and doing those things. So um, I definitely can sympathize with your, your feelings on, on the things that you were doing with that. Let's circle back a little bit. Um, I want to go back to the pediatric cancer thing and your experience with that. And then I want to get back into the music um, a little bit because I'm now understanding after hearing your lyrics and some of the stuff that you talk about in the field, I understand the space that it's coming from. So I'm kind of trying to lay the groundwork for people to understand that the music that where it's coming from so that they can hear. Um, so your experience, you went through it. Um, kind of, I guess, I want to take the, the position of the people around you and how they experienced you going through that because we're dealing with a lot of adults we get we're dealing with you know my nephew had pediatric cancer and to watch my brother and his wife and everybody else go around it and how it affected them was more difficult for me to handle because he was like i got this i know what i'm dealing with i can deal with it but everyone else around him who felt helpless didn't couldn't really you know grasp a lot of it so talk about that experience a little bit and how the people around you kind of um, either helped or, you know, what were some of the things that you might be able to recommend some families that are going through that right now? Absolutely. Um, as I went through the process, um, initially I had a stroke mm. at age 24 um, due to a frontal lobe brain tumor known as a neuroblastoma. Um, brain cancer is not common within my family. Mm. Not at all. In fact, I would be the first. You know, um, the black males within my family, there is a history of cancer, generally pancreatic um, or colon cancer, which is something that generally plagues black men, especially from that age group, because most were not going to the doctor. Mm -hmm. right? um, my family has always had an onus on going to the doctor. Though. Um, so at that particular time frame, I just kind of, I remember feeling dizzy the young lady that I was dating at the time was like, oh, you know, we should go see your grandparents. 
and I wasn't interested. I had paperwork to complete, you know, the time frame. I was running three different businesses mm-hmm. and I'm just trying to handle my business. Mm-hmm. But we going ahead and make the trip over. And when I got to my grandparents' house, I passed out as I opened the door. And uh, woke up at the then Rancocas Valley Hospital in Willingboro. He's now Lady of Our Lords. Mm. And uh, they were like, I think he has oxygen underneath his lungs. Like oxygen underneath his lungs? He said, yeah, and underneath his heart. Okay. So they medevaced me to UPenn. And uh, when I got there, they were like, they don't know what they're talking about. But they placed me in a hyperbaric chamber anyway. Mm. And upon placing me there, the hyperbaric chamber is meant to, you know, squeeze oxygen out generally for like divers and mm. people who have, you know, generally ventured too far within the water too quickly and it compresses air within your lungs. Um, I had my first seizure inside of this hyperbaric chamber, which prompted them to do some more testing. And of course, they ended up finding the tumor. Um, Upon me waking up, I can say that I was embarrassed, Mm. right? Um, As black men, we look to be pillars for our families. Um, I was young, vibrant. Um, You know, I had my little girlfriend at the time and I didn't want her to see me like this. Mm. I didn't want my family to see me like this. You know, my left eye began to droop a bit. Mouth was a little twisted initially from the stroke. Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, you know what? Mm-mm. So about six days in, I checked myself out of the hospital, unbeknownst to my family. And, you know, I had a couple dollars at the time frame. Mm-hmm. I ain't got no dollars now for anybody watching. <laughs> you got to wait. You got to wait. Get them streams up. Might, be able, streams. To, uh, <laughs> might be able to do something. Um, but at the time frame, you know, income was very well from the businesses that I had. and you know, went, got some Botox, raised the eye up, you know, um, hired a private nurse and sat there just kind of rehabbing myself, mm-hmm. getting my life back together and trying to represent myself. My family in the meantime was upset. You know, they wanted to be an active part of the process, but at the exact same time frame, my grandfather, we ended up finding out a colon cancer. Mm. So it was too much for my family to attempt to micromanage both issues mm. on both fronts. And the man that my grandfather is and was, you know, uh, I guess I was trying to kind of uphold the way he did the, the strong silent battles. Mm-hmm. And so I pulled a strong silent battle. Um, and it alienated a lot of people. You know, um, I would say looking back on it now, um, especially after going through it a second time frame in 2011, um, this time with my family involved, Mm. that it is up to us as Black men especially to make sure that we take our support systems and bring them along on our journey. Often we look and view leadership as being silent and just simply producing results by any means necessary. And then afterwards, that's how many of us end up creating widows at a very early age Mm. because we have not involved them in our issues of health Mm. 
the random aches and pains that we feel in our bodies. We don't listen to them because our fathers didn't listen to them. Right. You know, we did not generally have a great example of micromanaging physical health, let alone mental. Right. Um, so that journey is one that I'm proud to look back on a second bout with it going through and looking to my left and to my right and seeing my family there, you know, as I got ready to go through gamma knife treatment mm. and Robert Wood Johnson and um, being in a position that when I walked out of there since January 24th of 2011, mm -hmm. yeah. cancer free and yeah. um, feeling good about life. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that story. It's definitely, um, people need to, to hear that and understanding that, you know, you have that support system around you. And not just in the context of, of, of you know, dealing with the cancer and life in general. Like you, Mm -hmm. need to be able to lean on, you know, the people that are around you. And, you know, I, I also say all the time, like, who motivates the motivator? You know, somebody, I was like, well, my family motivates me. You know what I mean? That that, that motivates and, and life motivates me. But you need that support system around you. And having the right people around you is, is also key. Um, mm -hmm. I want to go back to the music now that we got the groundwork done. Cause I was listening and I was like listening to music and I, I'm a hip hop head. I'll listen to anything, you know, and I try to appreciate the stuff that's out now. Um, and then trying to, you know, my roots are still, you know, 1988 hip hop, you know, and then in 90s, early mm -hmm. hip hop. So I'm trying to get these young cats to leave it. But I was like, when I was listening to your music, I was like, this guy's different. And I was thinking, I was like, well, back in the day, there was basically like four lanes, right? You either were commercial MC Hammer, you were uh, Diddy, you know, I put him in the same category. Biggie kind of, you know, crossing over here. Then you got the backpackers and then you got like the gangster back, right? So that back in the day, that was kind of the division. Now I'm like listening, you know, I, I'm not saying now, but I'm go back a couple of years before. I'm listening, like everybody sounds the same. Like it's somebody was formula and then everybody just kind of went with that formula. Although I will say this past year with Nas coming out with Buster Rhymes and some of the old cats, I felt like say, all right, young fellas, you need to sit down. Let me show you how to do this. Yes. Listening to your music, I was like, this cat is different. There's something about him that's that, that, that's bringing me back to, to, to that hip hop that I appreciate. So um, let's just talk about how, how, what makes you different than everybody else right now. Hey, I appreciate it. Uh, first off, thank you for listening. And, um, you know, the state of hip hop for me, I try not to be negative, uh, you know, or create those optics. But the reality is somehow, some way, hip hop has gotten to a point where it has become okay. In fact, the model for success is for you to sound like everyone else. Similar cadence, same flow, um, you know. It's the stepper, everyone, stepper wives of hip hop. That's exactly what's happening right now. <laughs> I, I mean, for me, coming from the era in hip hop where if you sounded just like someone else, it was a problem. They coming to see you. Know? <laughs> very, very much so. Or you would simply not be accepted, mm. right? We've watched the artists of our time frames get compared to other people and either their career ends because they never shifted or they make the shift. Mm. For instance, take Ja Rule, 
right? Ja Rule first came out, they was like, here, go Tupac, part yeah. two, here he goes. And in listening to that, you could see that he made an extreme shift by the time frame in order to separate himself from certain things. But then you have someone like Little Zane, mm-hmm. who they were like, light-skinned Tupac, <laughs> never deviated away from it. And we watched him disappear as quickly as he came. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I kind of feel like today's youth all have an extreme Migos flow. You know, yes. Um, yes. when Drake helped bring the Migos all the way to the forefront with the whole Versace remix, mm-hmm. um, I watched, you know, after Jay-Z had uh, attempted to kill Autotune, <laughs> um, that all the youth embraced immediately and, you know, ran in the direction of people be talking, I'm feeling like your mama, she love me. I'm getting like, hey, you know, it's like, not for me. You know, um, I pride myself on being an MC that speaks truth, right? Um, Now that everybody has a platform, where originally there were gatekeepers, mm. right? And the gatekeepers didn't allow everybody to get on the microphone. Right. Um, I'm glad the gatekeepers are going. I'm not, I will not say that I need the gatekeepers back because they might keep me on the shelf. Right. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think if you have the microphone, you have a responsibility to say something on it, mm. right? Um, but then I also recognize that there's lanes. And what happened is, is that the new youth have created this lane where everybody drives the exact same car. And um, I wish them well with that because I'm simply going, what are you going to do when no one wants to drive in that lane anymore? Or no one, it's kind of like a Chrysler 300. Right. Remember when everybody went and got yeah, Chrysler 300? Got... They said, it's the, it's the baby phantom. Yeah. That's, that's kind of how I view this flow, you right. know? Um, it's the Chrysler 300 until Funk Flex comes out and says, you know, this flow has one more summer, uh. one more summer. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, they're going to have to find the new lane. Right. Um, but, you know, musically, I've always prided myself in being in a position where I only rap about what I've been through, what I'm currently going through, or how I pray something doesn't end. Mm. But, so because of that, I have always been able to have an extreme amount of content, right? Because it doesn't, it's really hard for you to build content when you're looking for the next live that runs. Mm. I will say that again for the young people who will watch this. It <laughs> say say it again for the people in the back. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It is hard for you to create a song when you are looking for the next live that rhymes Mm. you're going to be scratching and erasing on your pad and anything else of the sort when you can just tell your story right you know the fact that remains is that since music is consumed so differently now you know um you have to be mindful Mm. right um dude even even as we get deeper within that aspect hip-hop is the only genre black people especially where we retire our legends, right? We say, after a certain time frame, that's it for you. Thank you. You've had enough. Go sit down somewhere, mm-hmm. right? Um, most people 
can't believe that you would be a certain age and still rapping, mm -hmm. right? Or just getting in. Mm. Um, so, you know, for me, I was, I was so happy when 444 came out. Mm. Mm. You know, um, I felt like what it did was help to create a lane for, you know, gentlemen of age, mm -hmm. right? Anyone over the age of 29, you know, to come in and say, look, I got this. And what I also recognized more from the academic standpoint was that hip hop thrived with our age group. Mm -hmm. You know, those of us who are between 38 to 45 right now, hip hop had its peak based upon us. Mm -hmm. It's like, so when we look, we try not to be what our parents were, right? When like, that ain't no real music. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? That, ain't no, that ain't no real hip hop, right? right? <laughs> you know, because um, we watched hip hop go from, you know, uh, walking down the streets. Yeah. <laughs> I'm chilling, I'm chilling. <laughs> My, thank you for progress, Lord. Right. Yes, um, <laughs> you know, to just the intricacies of double and triple entendres within someone's flow or having someone as great as Brother Nazir Jones to be able to rap forward and backward mm -hmm. and let you know that you can understand this story if you're really listening. Right. Um, you know, to see Jay-Z evolve as a man, you know, um, you know, uh, Kill Jay-Z is a lot different than Big Pimp, Absolutely. you know. And uh, when I do, we do the Hip Hop 101, we talk to teachers, I said, listen, I said, you you are not giving Jay-Z and people like Tupac enough credit. I said, there's a business side of this and there's a move the culture forward side of this. From business side, yes, I'm going to come out early, talk about the Big Pimp and talk about all this stuff to get your attention. And you saw what Jay-Z did once he got his audience. Now I'm going to sit you down and talk about real life issues. Here come 444. Here come all these, you know, these other things that I'm exposing myself. I got your attention now. I'm hoping what some of these younger generation artists will do is now that I got your attention, let's, let me put you in a better place, you know, mm -hmm. here. You know, the, the Tupac, unfortunately, Tupac died before he had an opportunity to do that. But if you started to see a shift in his music. Jay-Z's shift in his music. Even Nas, a shift in his music. Like, you know, as they get older and deal with real life issues, I'm hoping that these younger generation artists will be able to be like, all right, I got you here. Let me move you over here. And I, I can appreciate that growing up because mm -hmm. even with KRS-One and Public Enemy and stuff, their first albums was a little, you know, rugged and stuff. But when they started talking about, they got my attention. Oh, Malcolm X, Marcus Garvey. I'm like, who are these people? So now let me get in this book, start reading about these people. Hip-hop did that for me. School didn't do it for mm -hmm. me. Hip-hop did that for me. And I'm just hoping that this next generation is if somebody smart enough, a little baby, or some I don't know, somebody smart enough to be like, I got your attention now. Let me, I'm gonna make my money now. Let me move you over here into this space, and we can move that that culture forward. I'm I'm just hoping and praying that that's where this next generation is going with. But you know what it is? This next generation has people within that generation that are absolutely amazing, right? So, for instance, right now, my favorite within hip hop is Joyner Lucas, mm. right? His visuals and the topics that he chooses to attack mm -hmm. are always absolutely amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, um, 
I noticed that he has managed to switch up now with this new song that he dropped with Little Baby. Uh-huh. And I think the onus for him doing that was that he didn't want to be trapped in a box, gotcha. right? You know, a lot of us get placed in certain boxes depending upon whatever song finally popped for us first. And we're like, hold on, I do this whole range oh, right you. here. Don't try to trap me in this box um, because you're looking for the commercial success that goes along with your ability lyrically, right? Mm. Um, and the thing is, is that lyrically, there's only a few that begin to exude that type of success, you know, the Kendricks, um, you know, D Smoke, who I think is absolutely mm. amazing. You know, unfortunately the pandemic hit as soon as his album dropped it, yeah. you know, <laughs> He yeah. was unable to do the things that he should do. Right. But uh, D Smoke, I know that you're going to watch this. Just know that uh, we got a feature coming. <laughs> and uh, I need that. Need yeah. that feature for something. You yeah. know. If we need you on the podcast, uh, D Smoke. Hit me up. <laughs> absolutely. Give me on. We need you here, too. Absolutely. But uh, that's dope. I'm going to switch gears a little bit. You know, about to uh, run, run out real quick. I don't want to touch this point real quick for you educators out there. Because we talked about putting your students in a box. I know we were talking about music and how that, you know, putting these artists in a box. We got to stop putting our students in the box because like the brother said, musically, there's a whole range, right? So these educated mm-hmm. students that are in your classroom, stop putting them in that box because they have a whole range of talent and ability for you to unlock. So stop trying to make them be the traditional student that you think they should be and start expand, expanding that range for those students. So I just wanted to make that a point real clear for our educators that are checking us out. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit, have a little bit of fun musically here. So a couple questions. I'll start with, if you had one more song to make, you have anybody that you want on there or not, what would the song be about? Mm. This is your last song that you're going to leave the world. The last song that I'm going to leave the world. Um, that song would be a song called Got to Get Home. Hmm. Um, you know, the song itself is about, you know, black man who is listening to his child's mother over the phone and hearing her struggles in the process of attempting to raise the son in his absence, mm. you know? Mm. And his thought processes of, man, I have got to get home, you, you know? And you're attempting to raise a child over the phone and hearing in this child that even in your absence, that he is still a vision of what you were within these streets. Mm. And unfortunately, the way this song ends, like I said, what I'm going through currently, or how I pray something doesn't end, right? You know, the envision for the song is that, you know, he finally gets out and he makes it home. But when he makes it home and hops out of his Uber, he sees his son being driven away inside the back of the police car. Mm. You know, mm. um, I, I think there has to be awareness and accountability for us as a black man. Mm-hmm. Where, um, our sisters have a 70% single motherhood ratio. Um, 
we have the lowest rate of marriage, yet the highest rate of divorce. And we've watched an entire generation of young Black men grow up either fatherless or even without a father figure as we have gotten away from, you know, the milieu of it takes a village to raise a child. Mm. You know, if somebody say something to your child right now, you know, we keep forgetting that, you know, if we allow adults to be adults, then maybe children would be children. Right. Right. Um, so for me, that song right there is one that I've already written and I've waited to record it because even singing the song, it hits me in my chest so hard. I listen, I got the chill you know, when you were talking about it. <laughs> painting out the picture of it alone, you know, it, it, it hits home, man. And, um, you know, it's a song that I'm actually going to perform in Trenton to uh, some of the brothers that are incarcerated. Mm. He said to give them just the idea, like, look, we have sons out here, right? You know, that demand our presence. Mm -hmm. And though mass incarceration is 100% real, 100% factual, we have to, as Black men, A, recommit ourselves to Black families. You know, um, the, the greatest honor that you can ever give the Black community is to, you know, look over at a nice chocolate sister and say, come here. <laughs> I love you. Stay right here. Stand by my side you know, and cherish them. And, um, you know, when you have children to be present within their world as mm -hmm. much as you possibly can, even if the relationship doesn't work, for you to be there and be present and be a beacon of light for these young men because we're losing them at an all-time high right now. Mm -hmm. you know? right. right. So some of your musical content deals with relationships. Give me your top three. Give me your top three hip-hop love songs. My top three hip-hop love songs. Well, I'm going to start with the original hip-hop love song that had me beating on my wall and on the table. It had Hattie Williams coming upstairs. Like, what do you can tell how old my grandparents are. I didn't even make Hatties no more. They made a Hattie since I had a Miss Hattie that drove my bus back in the day. Isn't it was, I need love. love. When I'm alone in my room, sometimes I stare at the wall and in the back of my mind, like, yeah. my conscious, I'm like, so you better talk about it. Yeah. You better talk about it. Yeah. You know, that, that, that was definitely a game changer for me. Um, the next one, um, which I felt was more like saying, I love you to the community, right? Just keep your head up. Keep your head. Okay. You know, I viewed it as a love song because it was talking directly to sisters and brothers at the same time, where it was like, look, I know we failing you. Mm. I know we failing you. But, <laughs> but look, baby, y'all keep your head up. All right. We, we got to find a way to pull it together yeah, for you. Right. We will. But keep your head up. Yeah, you know, I got you. You know, and then um, after that, I'm going to say, um, uh, you're all I need, Method Man, Mary. You know, because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a R and B dude. Got so it. you know, soon as soon as I heard the sample, I was like, <laughs> he straightened up. You perked up real quick. 
Patrice Russian? People uh-huh. <laughs> like, why do you know this? Uh-huh. Get out of here. I still read the inside covers of CDs. <laughs> I remember those. Remember when you was young and you used to read the inside That's covers the first of thing CDs? I did. Rod Fold that thing. Listen. Absolutely. Man. And then you the one that the dog tangent, the one that threw me a curveball was De La Soul is uh the De La Soul is dead one because it was like a cartoon inside the thing I opened up. I was like, what? what? <laughs> it blew my mind. I was like, wait a minute. Oh, oh, look, hip hip hop almost ended for me very early because of Snoop. Uncle mm-hmm. Snoop, we appreciate you. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, when the Doggy Style album came out, um, you know, I I went to Sam Goody with the rest of the children uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, went on ahead in there. And, you know, they allowed me to buy it. Thank uh-huh. you very much. Appreciate you. And, uh, you know, I'm at home listening to it on volume three. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Here we go. All right. Uh-huh. And Snoop was talking his talk. Mm-hmm. The problem was is that, you know, my grandmother used to shake my room down like a CO. And, uh, she came in there and she saw the cover arts. Mm-hmm. And when you remember the cover art for the mm-hmm. doggy style mm-hmm. album, it was definitely a bit convoluted to say the least. Uh-huh. Right. And uh, ooh, when I, how I knew I was in trouble, I got off the bus and the front door was open. I didn't even see it. My classmates saw it and was like, what'd you do? Ooh. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? She's waiting for you. That door open. She's waiting for you. Oh <laughs> man! Anytime the front door opens, that's it. And ain't no car, no car out front from the company. Just no. That's just no. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna give that's you. One I'm gonna give you one more here. All right. The apocalypse is coming. The world's about to end, but you're gonna make it on the other side of this thing. But you can only bring three albums. Everything in the world's gonna be erased. You have the opportunity to remake. The influence of music in general it doesn't have to be hip hop. What three albums will you bring to this new generation of this new world? The audacity of you to only allow me to bring three albums. I'll give you five. I, I'm being generous today. I'll give you five. You Typically, a lot of people can right. come up with five. I'm gonna give you five. Had me worried there for a second. <laughs> All right. Um, so the first album that I would bring. Now, mind you, I'm remaking history with these Make albums, yep. correct? Yep. Ooh-wee. You definitely, you're putting, you're putting some, some strain on my world right <laughs> here, right? Um, so, I am going to bring the I Like It album by DeBarge. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's right, that's right. I said DeBarge, right? Okay. Like DeBarge came, El DeBarge came in here and changed my soul, the, the notes he was hitting didn't make no uh-huh. sense. Um, you know, and, and during that time frame, Chocolate Brothers couldn't get no dates. You know, we had to we had to wait out the way. <laughs> we had to wait out him and I'll be sure. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. But I, I still appreciate him. You know, uh-huh. I still appreciate it. So I'm bringing the DeBarge album. I need I that you. for something. All right. Um, I'm going to bring this Luther Vandross Ooh. Essentials. Album, you know what I'm saying? I need one with all the greatest. I'll, I'll give you right. a cheat. That's a cheat. I'm gonna give you that That's one. That's a, Thank you. I appreciate you. That. You know, I'll give you that. You know what I'm saying? I need to lose the those essentials. I got you. You know, know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Um, now, here's where the genre has to switch. You know, I appreciate these brothers right here. They they did some things. They're cool. Anything else of the sort. But um, 
I'm definitely bringing Midnight Marauders album. I am bringing the richest black man in history's album, Mr. Kanye Cheddar. Kanye, I love you. All right, yes, I do. Um, and I'm gonna go with the college dropout, which was absolutely amazing. It was. Um, and then number five, which you are hurting my soul because I feel like you should have gave me eight, eight <laughs> albums. But I appreciate the generation of five. Um, I'm gonna bring. Changing history here. I'm changing history. This is it. I'm gonna go with Veranda of My Life by Christian Elder R and B Ruger. That's one more, you know what? You know, no, I, can, I can record that myself after listening to them. So I'm gonna remove right. that. I'm gonna remove that, right? And um, <laughs> shameless plug. No, I like it. The, the um, artists I had on here did not put their own stuff in. I said, why not? Hey, you know, <laughs> Um, so there is an amazing artist, right? And it's crazy because I'm looking now and I'm like, are you really about to omit Jay? Are you really about to omit Big? Are you really about to omit Nas? Man? Are you really about to, you know what? I can't do it because uh, this Rock Nation guy, I got to make sure that I bring that Dead President's album. I got you. I, 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 I need that. I need that. I need that right there. I'm out for presidents to represent me. Of course. That 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 album right there completely changed how I viewed hip hop in general. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I always felt like the dude with the smooth flow mm-hmm. that people enjoyed listening to, but would shift when other people came around because their energy was more Lloyd Banks, right. you know, more 50 Cent. And I was like, I can easily talk that way. But it wasn't authentic to the person that I was holistically, right? right? Like, I think we, we all have an angry man side to us, mm-hmm. right? Um, but, you know, I had to match up what I was saying with my experiences. And that was important to me, especially when it comes to relationships, because yeah. I am the serial monogamous, <laughs> like Tay Diggs yeah. and uh, <laughs> the best man. Yes. My God, yes. I had the, the whole gamut of, I love you, uh-huh. but I love you now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you love me because I do, <laughs> um, you know, and uh, I think it's very important to discuss relationships mm-hmm. in our music right? Like songs for me, like communication are really big. Um, Working in mental health, Mm. right? There's often as men, when we are uh, a little less informed about our women, we generally often feel like all they have is a mental health issue. When generally there's just a communication barrier, right? Right. That may be attributed to mental health, but that's neither here nor there. Um, You know, uh, I, I really definitely appreciate that because even, you know, in, in my marriage was, there was no blueprint to how to do it. Like my father and mom weren't together. Like there was no in my community. Nobody was really mm-hmm. together. So I've really kind of learned about relationships, one, either on the fly or through music. 
So I do appreciate, you know, those MCs and those artists that be like, listen, you know, and be vulnerable, especially as men. Like, you know what? I love somebody. I, I got hurt before. Like, this is what, be honest about it. So I appreciate those lessons that I learned, you know, through through the music in terms of relationships. Because that's, that I probably learned more than that, from that than the people that I come in contact, contact with on a daily. But definitely appreciate that. Well, man, listen, man, I definitely appreciate your time. This is definitely a great conversation that we had tonight. I hope you, you know, enjoyed it and everything. But absolutely, somewhere out there right now, because we do have young people that do listen to our podcast as well. Somebody wants to be an artist, whether it be an R&B artist, a hip hop artist. What advice, any last advice you would give to them um, and how to, to maneuver in, in this game in today's day and age? That's what, you know what, let me, let me look these people directly in the face. Mm. Um, the music business has changed exponentially, man. Um, you're in a position of power that many of us were not, man. Um, we didn't even know the first step. All we knew is that we had talent, but we didn't know how to be heard. There was no YouTube there for us to hop on, you know, um, it was just beating on tables and talent shows and hopefully running into the right person in the street, you know, where now you can build an entire platform and never need a record company, never need a record label at all, unless they just want to take you global, right? And then they want to enter your world because they see something in you that they themselves can profit off of. I would encourage a, that you learn the business, right? Um, learn the basics so that you are not just, not just making music. Now, if just making music is your goal, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. And I say do it. You know, for me, music is an outlet because as you can tell by this interview, I'm pretty long-winded, right? So I needed to find a three-minute variable way in order to express myself so that I wouldn't lose the people that I was talking to in the moment. Um, but I would tell you, plan your work and work your plan. When it comes to this, you have to know each digital distribution company, recognize what their payouts are. You know, it's important because you can look up and you'll see people like little baby sitting there with that hamburger of money next to his ear, but you don't realize that, take uh, someone like myself, with almost 14 million streams, that is not a platinum album. It's not a platinum single. In fact, it's nowhere near it. And I am amazed and blessed to know that there's millions of people that have listened to my music, right? Um, but it takes a lot to make it within this industry. Utilize every platform that you have open to you to write, and more importantly, be true to yourself. Be true to your music. Don't spend your time frame trying to create another whack, unless that's what's in your soul. Do not spend your time frame looking to be the next Megan Thee Stallion. It's okay to be you. So before we wrap this up, Officially, um, there's a documentary that's coming, I believe, on HBO, if I'm hearing this correctly, but that you're involved in. Can you talk about the documentary a little bit? Um, well, this documentary is a film by Jacob Majas. Um, 
And the documentary actually highlights uh, the journey that went through with the protests that went wrong in the city of Philadelphia and subsequently the work that needed to be done after the protests were over for us as a community. Um, Jake is actually a student at UPenn and uh, he graduates tomorrow. So, you know, congratulations to uh, Jake. But uh, the documentary highlights how this entire process in which over 22,000 people showed up in the city of Philadelphia um, started with a single tweet, with a single tweet. And Philadelphia's protest was the first protest to turn violent, um, which then sparked protests across the country and subsequently across the world. Um, it's called For the People. And um, it's going to be aired on Roku TV, on Amazon Prime, uh, Fire Stick, HBO Max, um, and hopefully on Netflix as well. He said still in negotiation talks, but um, you know, hey, look, it's not my intellectual property, it's the Young Brothers. I just happened to be someone that he was filming at that particular time frame as I was speaking, and he seemed inspired and walked up to me and was like, hey, can I speak with you? And um, just an amazing young brother. Yeah. Um, him and Joshua Yaboa Gacy, who uh, led the charge in that and to think that these young men are 20 years old mm. and uh i remember having that similar fire at that particular age but there was nowhere for me to march right. there was nothing going on right. um <laughs> you know it was more like columbine was happening <laughs> right. during that time frame right. you know so it's like oh you know they got the metal detectors in the wrong schools mm. but um you know definitely i encourage people this is debuting on may the 25th for the anniversary of George Floyd. Um, the family of Brother Floyd have approved this documentary and we're just definitely looking forward to uh, creating conversation on all the things that need to happen post social injustice of boots on the ground, mm. but more so the legislation that needs to come and the onus of accountability within our communities to make sure that we can begin the process of change, not just systemically from white people, but change systemically from ourselves. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that information. Um, and so make sure you check that out. Um, at May 25th is dropping. Uh, we'll try to put that plug on there on our website and stuff as well. But how can people get in contact with you and or listen to your music? I know you said it at the beginning, I'm gonna give you the opportunity to do it again, man. Hey, listen, I appreciate it. Again, this is Christian L, the R&B Ruger. Um, my debut LP, Veranda of My Life, is currently on Apple Music. Um, also available on YouTube Music. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, brother, I definitely appreciate your time and, and, and the knowledge that you just dropped on us. And definitely link up again and, you know, wish you the best on everything. Thank that you, you brother. And keep doing that work, man, out there in the community and doing what you do, because we definitely need uh, mental health experts such as yourself and, 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 you know, and making sure that our community is, 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 is healthy. Um, so thank you for sharing your story. Um, just as a reminder for all you educators out there, don't forget the Empowerment Perspective was offering a three-part free, that's right, free webinar series for all you aspiring assistant principals out there and newly hired assistant principals. I'm giving you the game for absolutely free, uh, what you're going to expect, um, interview techniques. And if you're not even in education, you need to learn some, learn some interview techniques, hop on that as well. I'll put the link at the end of it. Um, it's absolutely free. All you do is sign up and I'll send you an email uh, when 
winter log on. That's going down May 20th. Um, it's for the assistant principals. June 3rd is for the interview techniques. And then June 10th, we're going to come back and talk about relationship building and education. Um, Jamie Coleman is going to drop in on that move with me. And, uh, you know, we're just giving this knowledge out for free. And we'll hit you guys back up again in the beginning, at the end of the summer, right before the school year starts. Um, and then, of course, look for us on the road. Hopefully COVID will open up the gates so we can get back out there and then do what we do best and, and you know, keep educating our, our people that educate our students. You know what I'm saying? So that's what we're in the business for. So, again, thank you, sir, for your time and everybody else out there. Stay proud.